0: Our reading tonight is taken from the book of Jude, starting at verse 20, and is on page 1,232. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and for evermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray, shall we? Oh, the deep, deep love of... Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to think about what it means to keep ourselves in your love. Please uh, speak to us, please challenge us, Uh, please uh, warn us and please comfort us and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know if, like me, you read this week about uh, apparently um, the Russians uh, have got a whole army of professional computer trolls who create thousands of fake Twitter and Facebook accounts. Uh, The aim is to secretly infiltrate social media and send out pro-Russian propaganda uh, around the world. These guys secretly pose as a whole range of types of people uh, and organisations and subtly aim to change people's thinking. Sounds very cunning, uh, doesn't it? How do we contend against that kind of thing? if, of course, it's true and not itself a piece of propaganda. Well, we've been seeing in the letter of Jude the last few weeks that this sort of thing is what is happening in the church of Jude's day. Remember verse 4 of the letter. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. So remember the two things about these guys. They teach God's grace, his undeserved forgiveness. But second, they deny God's authority. And that as Christians we are called to also obey uh, God. Their message, as we've seen, sounds attractive. It emphasises love, uh, but not holiness. So it no longer calls us to obey God in every area that he calls us to and in particular that's attractive in those areas that it's hard to obey him in in the 21st century. It's a license to immorality as we saw and we saw didn't we that these false teachers aren't just there in Jude's day but they're always around in the church and they often come along uh, as a new exciting thing with great promise. They're often knowledgeable nice, respectable church leaders. But we saw last time, didn't we, how they don't deliver on their promises. At best, they just confuse us. It may be that you're here tonight uh, and you're not yet convinced uh, about Christianity and, and maybe you've sometimes thought how confusing it is that different church leaders say such different things at different times. It's confusing enough for those of us who've been Christians for a number of years. Well, at best they bring con- confusion, but at worst, these false teachers are leading people away from God and into judgment. And we saw their end, didn't we? Condemnation. Well, Jude has been warning us, but how should we respond to the presence uh, of false uh, teaching and teachers in the church. Well remember verse 3, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. We are to contend for the faith, the gospel uh, of salvation, but that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To contend. If you're anything like me, uh, you don't like conflict. And so there are common ways of getting out of conflict. These two common ways that that Christians often uh, do it. One is avoidance. You may have heard this phrase, doctrine divides, but love unites. So let's just avoid talking about doctrine and teaching and morals that we're called to obey. Let's just affirm Christian love and relationships. And in time, we hope the false teaching, it'll just sort of, wither away. Let's not get alarmist. But Jude is saying, isn't he, that these teachers are already involved in their love feasts, in their communions, uh, and uh, so they're there. This is already happening, and he describes them as blemishes. They're causing great damage, leading the unwary away, leading people to hell. So avoidance can't work. The other response sometimes we make is evacuation. That is to say, you know, there's false teaching around, so we should just go off and set up a new pure church where there isn't false teaching. Well, that has been tried many, many times throughout the church's history. But the problem is that this generation's pure church is next generation's church beset by false teachers. There are just so many examples of this. Pretty much every Christian denomination in this country Anglican, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian or whatever it is was set up pure but then in time also began to have problems and became corrupted. So we can't avoid uh, suggest evacuation doesn't work we have to contend for the faith. So the question is how? How do we contend for this gospel of grace and obedience? How contend? Well The passage, the last bit that we've got tonight, naturally falls into three sections, three ways to contend that we are to contend. First, look at verses 20 and 21. And it starts off with a little bit of a surprise. The first way to deal with the false teachers is keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude's first concern is with the spiritual well-being of Christian believers. So the first thing we need to learn is that we are at risk, So we need to contend for our own faith. It's tempting sometimes isn't it to think that the problem of sort of false teaching only affects other people uh, and other churches but that would be so naive. We are often quite capable of spotting other people's failings and be blind to the ways that we get entangled in immorality ourselves. Just this week as I was preparing this talk I was thinking negative thoughts towards some other Christian teachers when I suddenly realised that that very same day I had been sinning in my own thoughts in ways not too dissimilar. So for us at St Mary's, we need to see contending begins at home. And Jude identifies four ways that we can uh, do this. Verse 20. First, build. Build yourselves up in your most holy Faith, most holy because it's a gift from God who is holy. And we are to build ourselves up in our faith, grow in it, and be strengthened in it. How can we do that? Well, a major way to be built up in faith is to be built up by the faith. Back in uh, verse 3 of Jude, uh, he speaks of the faith, and now he calls us to build ourselves up in faith. And I'm sure there's a connection there. The gospel that was taught by the apostles, the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints, that is what builds us up. And it's notable, I think, here as well, verse 20, it doesn't just build us up as individuals. This is talking to a group of people. Dear friends, build yourselves up. We do this building primarily together. Uh, we come together to hear the apostles' teaching in church, or in small groups, or in pairs. We do it together, That is the most effective way of doing it. It is great to read the Bible ourselves and pray ourselves, uh, but even more so, we need to do it together. Often the first sign of trouble for somebody uh, is when they start to drift off from Christian fellowship and become isolated. Uh, uh, We need to build ourselves up together. Second, do you see there, pray. The great... uh, Christian reformer John Calvin described prayer as the chief exercise of faith and by which we daily receive God's benefits. Lovely description. We pray because we have faith and prayer strengthens our faith. It's prayer, it's called here prayer in the Holy Spirit. It's a verse after he's just said the false teachers do not have the spirit in 19 but we by the Holy Spirit, can boldly approach God's throne of grace and call God our Father by the Spirit. What a wonderful blessing prayer is for us. Third, keep yourselves in God's love. Grammatically in the original, this statement has got the most emphasis. Uh, It's as we build ourselves up with Bible teaching, as we pray uh, together, we are strengthened to stay in God's love. God's true love, not that grace that then just uh, lets us go off and do whatever we like, but that love that compels us uh, to live holy lives and to obey him. Keep yourselves in God's love. And as we do that, finally, we wait. We wait for the mercy uh, of Jesus Christ. That's the end of 21. Salvation in the New Testament and in Jude, has this future perspective. We are waiting for God to save us. The false teachers, you see, offer pleasures now, but the best is yet to come. In God's sovereign plans, he doesn't deal with all the evil in the world straight away. We still live as sinners uh, in this world, full of sinners, in churches full of sinners, as God calls people from all over the world to himself, but one day this time will be over and full salvation will come and we'll receive the mercy uh, that he promises. We're no better than others you see, we need mercy. We're no better than the false teachers, Uh, we wait for God's mercy. So we need to keep ourselves in God's love, build, pray, keep, wait. These are the kind of things that we need to be doing together as a church family, the kinds of things that need to be going on uh, within our church. We need to contend for our own faith. Even the strongest Christian is weak. So contend for our own faith and stick together to keep ourselves on track. But then second, uh, Jude says, be merciful to those in danger. This is 22 and 22. Three. So this time it's like he's saying, Contend for their faith. It's a messy situation. And many people are being affected by or influenced by the false teaching that's around to varying degrees. There are probably sort of three groups of people here. The first group, verse 22, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. And these are probably Christians who are being kind of torn between the two camps, the true teaching and the false teaching. They've come under the influence of this attractive teaching and now they. They struggle to know who is right. They've been thrown into confusion. And there are many people uh, who feel like that. Perhaps, if you're honest, you feel like that sometimes, torn uh, between the teaching that I hope you receive here and other things that you hear. Well, this doubting person, Jude says, is not condemned. Rather, the stronger believers should realise it could have been them, and so they're to show mercy. It might mean giving such a person of our time, patiently listening to all they're concerned about, all they're worried about uh, and helping them think it through. It might mean then thinking of a part of the Bible to share with them, to read, helping them to see what God has said. We don't kick them out as heretics but reach out in mercy. Then there's another group where he says snatch others from the fire and save them and here it looks like people who have been taken in by the false gospel and they're standing on the brink of fire. They're in terrible danger. Jude verse 7 spoke of the eternal fire of judgment. Hell is not literally uh, a place of fire but fire is one of the metaphors that is used in the Bible to tell us how terrible it is to fall under God's eternal condemnation. And that is the danger that this group of people are in. And so the loving thing to do is to do all that we can to try and snatch them and save them from it. It may involve pleading with them to come back. It may involve warning or even rebuking out of loving concern. When I was a a Christian of less than a year, I very nearly got entangled in a relationship with someone who wasn't um, a Christian uh, but an older Christian challenged me on it, just just one short conversation over a cup of tea. And he just said, Nick, what are you doing? What are you doing? And said, why don't we meet up another time? We'll have a look at some bits of the Bible uh, and have a chat about this. And it was just that one sentence uh, that in the meantime I decided, right, okay, I'm going to deal with this. I'm not going to pursue this relationship. And we met up and uh, studied a bit of the Bible together, and then he got me reading the Bible it, with Bible reading notes uh, as a daily thing. Uh, just a wonderful, uh, really short thing, uh, this guy literally snatched me from the fire. A hard thing to do, but a loving thing uh, to do. It may even involve, actually, church discipline elsewhere Paul speaks of handing someone over to a time of being excluded from all the full benefits uh, of the church family such as sharing in communion but the aim is to long for that person to come to repentance church discipline sounds old-fashioned doesn't it but if we don't ever think that some kind of discipline is appropriate then maybe we've been more influenced by the false teaching than we think you know it's got that's got no concern Uh, with obedience, uh, whereas the true teaching does have that. So that's the second group, snatch others from the fire, pleading, warning, rebuking, even disciplining. But then there's another group, I think, at the end of 23. Jude says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Well, who are these people? They seem, I think, to be the worst-off group. They've been corrupted. It speaks of clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Perhaps he's speaking here of people who are more thorough partakers of the false teaching and living. Maybe they're even advocating it uh, actively. They are corrupted. Uh, maybe he's kind of just referring to their sexual immorality what we've seen in this letter. And it's interesting, even with this group, Uh, that he speaks of showing mercy. It's the third time in three verses, actually, uh, that he speaks of mercy. As we relate to those who may have been more fully involved, we are to recognise that we too are sinners in need of mercy. No superiority is warranted. And if we are to try and help these people, we need to have fear. It speaks, doesn't it, of show mercy mixed with fear. If we're in a position to help, we must be careful in case we could be led astray by the same things. I can remember uh, a few years ago chatting to a young man uh, and I was urging him uh, to battle against internet problems uh, and I thought it was a really useful conversation. Only I went home that night and what did I find, having talked about the issue in detail, suddenly felt massive temptation myself it is dangerous. Uh, we must, ha- must be very careful uh, when we seek to help others. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says that this, it must be the spiritual person who restores uh, the fallen. We need to watch out that we are not led astray as we try to help. But if we can, uh, we need to hate the sin even as we seek to love the sinner. That's what's going on here, isn't it? Sometimes, you see, I think Bible-believing Christians have a bad reputation. just been watching through uh, the West Wing, uh, that American uh, political drama, and in it there are a number of evangelical Christians and they're always portrayed as nasty bullies, basically. Now, I think there's some bias there, but also there's got to be some truth, hasn't there? It's a bit uncomfortable for us. You see, when Christians oppose immorality, it can be done in an ugly, unpleasant, negative way way and so even as we try to stand for something that is right it is possible to deny God's grace in a different way by becoming judgmental so here's the second way to fight we need to be merciful to those in danger contending for their faith and then finally on to 24 and 25 the final way to contend Well, in fact, these two verses don't tell us to do anything at all. Rather, they tell us to look to the God who fights for us. God is able to keep you. Look at 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and for evermore. Amen. Uh, such wonderful words, we often say them uh, in church, but they're often detached a little bit from the rest of this letter. Often we kind of treat them as if they're this nice appendix uh, to the letter, but I think there's a case for saying that they are in fact the glorious climax uh, of the whole thing. Jude's been saying, we are at risk, others are in danger. But the wonderful, amazing truth is that God is powerful uh, to keep us. In fact, Jude has gone full circle. We're back to where the letter began. Uh, Someone once said to me that the whole of Jude is structured like a keep sandwich. Um, In verse one, Christians are described as those who are kept uh, by Jesus Christ. And then in the middle part of the letter, we are urged to keep ourselves. In God's love. And now at the end, it tells us God will keep us. So it doesn't ultimately depend on our ability to police ourselves. We do have a job to do. We do have to, in our own decisions and will, keep ourselves in God's love. But as we do so, we are surrounded behind and before by God's almighty power to save and keep us in His love. Ultimately, It depends on his ability to do it as we cry out to him and look to him. So these final verses are really an amazing promise aren't they to us? God will keep us. Sometimes being a Christian feels like running in an endurance event when you go and watch something like I don't know the Basingstoke half marathon. Actually I've not seen it so uh, I don't know how many people drop out on the way but people often drop out Uh, along the way in endurance events. But God is able to keep us going right to the end. He knows everyone who is his. Do you remember in John's Gospel, Jesus was saying to those who truly come to him, "I, I will raise them up on the last day. He will keep us. He will present us before his glorious presence without fault, without fault, and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amazing words, aren't they? Those false teachers, just think ultimately what they're doing. They are ultimately robbing us of this Saviour and of this glorious future. That's what they're doing. They promise freedom to indulge in a bit of sin now freedom to use our money now, however we want, freedom to have sex now, however we want, freedom from the strictures of Christian moral teaching now, freedom from ever having to enter into controversy with other Christians now. It all sounds so appealing doesn't it? But do you see we can gain the whole world now, as Jesus said, but lose our eternal souls. Lose out on having this God as our saviour of his majesty, power and authority through all ages now and forevermore. How can a bit of licence to sin be worth losing all of that? So it is worth contending for the faith, contending for our own faith, keeping ourselves in God's love while we wait for his mercy contending for others faith having mercy on others in danger hating the sin and loving the sinner and as we do this abandoning confidence in ourselves and looking to him who alone is able to keep us let's pray shall we well what better way to finish than to read the last two verses again let's have a moment of quiet as we reflect on what God might have been saying to us through these words and then we'll say I'll say these two verses to him